0: I'll be down. I'll be down try not to try too hard. It's just a Welcome to turning
1: hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with Jim Mars, uh, the author of The Rise of the Fourth Reich and other very notable books, uh, such as Rule by Secrecy and Crossfire, the plot that killed Kennedy. Uh, Jim, before we went to break, uh, we were talking about uh, this whole notion of, um, of statism and corporatism, as you suggested, that fascism or Mussolini suggested that fascism is really more corporatism and you were I think very rightly suggesting that we are a corporatist state. I mean all you need to do is see how the large wealthy corporate interests are getting bailed out. We bailed out now an automobile company or two uh, bailed out of course big banks and when I say we bailed out, we the people, the average common ordinary person we had uh, we, not, we had not
3: common person
2: taxpayer. Well, exactly. And and what people don't really understand is that we're bailing out through inflation. So yeah. Mr. Bernanke prints all this money, and we have uh, a rise in commodity prices in energy prices in uh, materials prices. And the common, ordinary person who's seeing his wages, if they stay up at all, they're, they're not staying up in the real purchasing power, continue to decline. And he has to spend more and more of his disposable income for food and, and, and transportation and so forth. So the middle class is getting squeezed. We've had Howard Davidowitz on this show, uh, a retail uh, a retail analyst out of New York who says 80% of the American people are seeing their living standards decline, while 20%, uh, probably mostly the financial community, are seeing their living standards stay the same or improve slightly. But even the financial markets, and my wife had worked for a large uh, bank uh, as she lost her job with the consolidation uh, of another major institution. So... Um, it's, it's well, getting... hey,
3: Jay, my question is, if they continue to squeeze and finally deplete the middle class, who's going to pay the taxes?
2: Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> do you have an answer?
3: No. Okay. I guess we just turn into a feudal state, you know. Well, that's what I The think lords and the peons.
2: But isn't that what's really happening already? Yep. Look at the uh, look, look at the impoverishment that has occurred as a result of the uh, of uh, Mister Greenspan's policies uh, that got people in debt in the housing market. I mean, what and then, are people? And then he
3: has the arrogance when a co- congressional committee asked him, "Where well, you sent all this trillions of dollars overseas, and a lot of it went to foreign banks?" uh... you know wh- what what kind of collateral did they put up what are we going to get out of this how much money went over there and he says i don't have to tell you
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah he he didn't have to tell us and the federal reserve uh... really held back on that until recently i think when uh, bloomberg uh, yeah,
3: they finally got hold of a little. They finally
2: fine. did, and Ron Paul, I know, was questioning Bernanke about that and suggesting that a lot of the missing money probably went to bail out foreign banks. Of course, Jim, if we look at what these common interests are behind the scenes, uh, I guess you would probably suggest that, um, that,
3: that, you know, they're not, these interests are not are not confined by national
2: boundaries, are they? No,
3: not at all. And they're certainly not in our best interest, regardless of what their propaganda says. I might also point out that Br- Branicki uh, also said, when asked about the Great Depression of the '30s, he said, "Yes, we caused it. We're sorry." So, yeah. understanding that then doesn't make my me sound so. Wall died when I try to tell people, as I have in my book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, that the latest, the 2008, 2009, 2010 financial morass debacle was mm-hmm. created. It didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. Of course, Bernie. You know that you're obviously financially astute enough to understand that there were some decisions made, some laws passed, some laws rescinded, and some policies instituted that just set us up for that very fall.
2: Yeah, of course, Bernanke. Uh, when he talks about we created it, what he was saying was that we made mistakes at the Fed. Our policies weren't wrong; we just didn't implement them very effectively. And uh, you know, and so uh, he apologized. Uh, or Milton Friedman, uh, his thesis was that we, the Fed, uh, caused it because they didn't pump enough money in fast enough to outrun the deflation. And I'm thinking. Well, Bernanke thinks he's doing it, but honestly, uh, Jim, after we're looking here uh, over the years since Lehman Brothers and uh, before that even we we were having a a very, very slow growth in the economy, if, if any growth at all, that really none of this is really happening. You know, Roosevelt's Secretary of the Treasury, Morgenthau, said after eight years, he says, we have just as much unemployment as we had uh 8 years ago when we took office and we have all this debt to boot now i'm looking at what's going on now with uh, both the bush and the uh a, 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 you know on the current uh, administration the
3: Obama administration Ad- they're, they're up to their neck in it too
2: yeah so we are now we we are unemployment is just as bad as it was when this thing started right. and we have all of these trillions of dollars of additional debt to boot that is going to be loaded on the taxpayers and as you say cause all of us to be uh basically indentured servants
3: Well, I may be just a dumb old Texas boy, but it seems to me like that the whole purpose, a stated purpose of the Federal Reserve System was to prevent things like this. And therefore, when you look at their track record since they were created in 1913, we've had World War I, World War II, the Great Depression of the 30s, the ups and downs, the depressions, recessions of the 50s, 80s. And now, this debacle, uh, their track record is not very good. And that means, in my mind, that they are either sinister, evil planners, and they're creating this, or they're bumbling idiots. In which case, either, either case, we need to do away with that.
2: Well, I know certainly we've had G. Edward Griffin on this show, and he believes that they're not idiots at all, that they know exactly well, they're not what they're idiots, doing. So
3: they wouldn't be there
2: yeah and and uh, and his view is that in fact they've been extremely successful in doing not what they say they are here to do, but what in fact they are here to do, and that is to reallocate wealth from the common folks, from the people that, the people that create wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, people that actually do things that are helpful to other human beings, are getting hosed. They are getting taxed away and and thrown into the uh, a dwindling middle class. Really, more and more people finding themselves in the lower uh, and even impoverishment.
3: Well, uh, I want to ask well, you, know, you. Hey, hey, Jay, look, yeah. back off and look at. The, Look at it from the broadest perspective. The United States of America today still has a great wealth of natural resources, mm-hmm. don't we? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have a reasonably literate and willing to work workforce, right? Yes. Yes. Why then are we in such economic straits? Mm-hmm. And I submit to you, because somebody wants it that way.
2: Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, it would certainly seem that way. Um, uh, of course, that's not the propaganda and the propaganda machinery that we have. That's right. Uh,
3: well, they keep you befuddled and distracted with minutia details. Oh, this quarter it went up a qu- half a point, or you know, something like that. It, they they just anything to distract people from the reality.
2: From the reality. Well, we certainly have. Um, you know, uh, Desperate Housewives and, uh, we have, <laughs> uh, America's, uh, American Idol and all kinds of other sporting events and everything else, I suppose, to keep the masses distracted.
3: And this is nothing new. The, the Romans, you know, to, to keep the masses pacified, uh, every Saturday, uh, they'd have big, uh, circuses at the, uh, Coliseum and uh they'd throw Christians to the lions and have gladiator fights and then at the same time they go around and throw free bread uh to the population so they could get along for a few more days until the next weekend uh and that's what came to be known as bread and circuses and today right. we have instead of bread and circuses we have television and welfare you know yeah
2: Yeah, we have always something to keep the masses uh, uh, tranquil. Well, uh, speaking of, we we talked about the Third Reich and now the rise of the Fourth Reich, which uh, uh, by extension I believe you mean is us in the United States, our corporatist state right now.
3: Right, but let me make a very big distinction here, because uh, a lot of people would be saying, are you trying to say that we have been taken over by neo-Nazis? And no, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you, if you read my book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, you'll find all the details, all the names, dates, and places. These are the real old guys, the very same people who funded Hitler. And we're talking about John J. McCloy of National Citibank, which is now Citicorp, Was the largest funder of the Nazi government during the 1930s. Uh, uh, John Foster Dulles, who was Secretary of State under Eisenhower, and his brother Alan Dulles, who was one of the longest serving CIA directors under Eisenhower. Uh, these guys were lawyers for the Kurt Schroeder Bank, another major, uh, funder of Hitler and supporter of the Nazi government. And then also you had Union Banking Corporation, another U.S. corporation. That, uh, its vice president in charge of handling the money for Nazi Germany was Prescott Bush, hmm. the grandfather of George W and the father of George Herbert Walker Bush. So you can see that this, these Nazi families and these national socialist orientated people come right on up. Another person that was, uh, uh, instrumental in helping the Nazis uh, was the head of IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if they hadn't had those punch cards for IBM computers they wouldn't have been able to move those Jews and gypsies and others into those concentration camps mm-hmm. near as efficiently mm-hmm. so, Interesting. and this is just documented information of course you're not going to hear about this in your corporate control media because the same families and the same financial interests control the five corporations that now determine everything you see and hear
2: Well, everything that's considered the mainstream anyway, and that's why I guess programs like this are allowed to exist is because we can say say what we want. I I, I always keep uh, talking about this incident when Congressman Paul, when Alan Greenspan was uh, at the Federal Reserve uh, being questioned by the Congress, and I think it was Bernie Sanders, a socialist from Vermont, and Ron Paul from Texas, uh, we're uh, we're we're asking some pretty tough questions of Mr. Greenspan, and it was uh, Chairman Leach, I believe it was, who was a Republican uh, chairman of the House Banking Committee, and he was apologetic to uh, Greenspan for the irreverence of both uh, Mr.
3: <laughs> uh, there these two gentlemen real questions.
2: And, and, uh, and Greenspan says, well, that's all right, Congressman. You know, this is what makes America great. We, we have this ability to dissent and have different ideas. That's what makes us so wonderful. And I thought, what a big, uh, what a big uh, line of, of baloney, because uh, clearly uh, those two individuals are marginalized by the press. And so even to this day anybody that uh, considers, I mean, Ron Paul is just considered to be a nutcase, somebody that is not to be taken seriously. And in all the discussions of the mainstream uh, media, he is not considered a viable candidate. And, and, and yet,
3: uh, if you go back to his run for the Republican no- uh, nomination in uh, 2008, you find that everything he said has been proven true.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. But 2008, the American public, as we say, they, it's the bread and circus of America. We have many things to distract people, and their attention spans are short and getting shorter, it seems, these days.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I want to ask you, though, uh, Jim, this is going back now when we talk about the Reichs, the, f- the Third Reich being that of uh, you know, Hitler's Germany.
3: Mm-hmm. We're, what were the first two reichs? Well, in German, the word Reich uh, means empire. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, it also means wealthy or rich. Mm-hmm. So When you're talking about a Reich, you essentially could be talking about an empire of the rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I found kind of interesting. But to answer your question, the first Reich was the Holy Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which was neither holy <laughs> nor Roman <laughs> nor an empire. It was a collection of countries stretching from the Low Countries down all the way through uh, to Italy mm-hmm. um, under Charlemagne. Uh, and that lasted until about 1802 when, uh, Napoleon conquered Europe Mm -hmm. and, uh, broke up the First Reich or the Holy Roman Empire. And then the, with the defeat of Napoleon and the rise of, uh, Otto von Bismarck, who then brought together some 300 individual states in what is now Germany and Mm -hmm. created the Second Reich Mm -hmm. or the, uh, Second Empire and that lasted until uh, Kaiser Wilhelm was deposed at the end of World War one and so then they went through the Weimar Republic and see that's another thing to understand when Hitler took over Germany was under the Weimar Republic mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and uh, he's the one that quickly then turned it into a fascist dictatorship with his himself as the Fuhrer or the leader. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, this was not like uh, everyone was forced into it. The vast majority of people went along with it because he got them out of the doldrums of depression. He restored their honor and uh, set them on a course of prosperity. Of course, unfortunately, the bulk of this German prosperity was because of rearmament. Mm -hmm. And, of course, once you built up this huge army and all these war machines— you got to do something with it.
2: Right. Well, and, and that's, that's
3: what, what bothers me about what we're doing today. we just continually build, building more and more advanced weaponry. And, of course, uh, the people who are in charge of that weaponry, they're just itching to use it. They want to use it on something.
2: Well, that's exactly right, and we do have uh, Jeff Dice, who's Ron Paul's chief of staff, coming on after you, uh, you know, when we finish talking to you in 10 minutes or so. And I know in talking to Jeff, he is of the opinion that we don't need to, really don't need to raise the debt ceiling now because we don't have to be, we can curtail and then draw our forces back and do various things, of course uh you know what how that would result in uh, is is anybody's uh you know is open to speculation but we talked to Chen Lin on this show early before you came on and Chen is talking about an investment that he's made in a company that has uh, an oil interest in Nigeria so uh-huh. Chen's assumption is that the west would not allow uh you, you know will will keep that stable as long as they can and that uh, the oil profits should flow from there so you know, we get
3: well, oil's on its way out, and the people in the oil business know it. Even though the idea of peak oil is false, there are un- untapped such as the Bakken reserve yeah. up through Montana and yeah. Canada. There's there's enough oil on the ground to last us even an increased race of consumption for hundreds of years. There's, <laughs> Excuse there's me, no question we about We don't want that. to do that because we're choking ourselves to death on petroleum. Yeah. And there are alternatives. I mean, they're over in India they've got a car that's uh, run and run on uh, a, basically a spring. You wind it up and it runs. <laughs> There's cars that are run on water. that you yeah. know, if if it wasn't for the fact that the oil conglomerates keep suppressing this technology, uh we could be living in a paradise right now. And we could take all this money that we're squandering uh, to, you know, try to occupy Iraq and Afghanistan, we could take that money and apply it to our infrastructure and to our schools, okay? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of things it's, it's we amazing. could do. It's amazing. So, you know, when I see the money, we're spending a billion dollars a week in Iraq, occupying a country that really doesn't want to be occupied. And so, you know, who died and left us in charge? And why do we invade Iraq anyway? Well, oh, had, uh, you know, he's going to build a nuclear bomb within six weeks. Oops, that turned out to be no. a lie. Yeah. Oh and, no, and no, he had he, hidden weapons of mass destruction. Oops, no, that turned out to be a lie, too. Right. Well, well, we're over there for their oil. No, no, we were only getting 16% of imported oil from Iraq anyway. We're not even getting that much now because they keep blowing up the pipelines. So that's a lie. So wait a minute, what are we there for? Oh. I got it. We're there because we're bringing them freedom and democracy. <laughs> uh, but wait a minute. In 2009, after Blackwater slaughtered about 47 Iraqis in a public square just wildly shooting, uh and the Iraqi government, which, let's face it, were our little puppets, okay, that we installed in power, and they finally, you know, screwed up their courage, and they said, we want Blackwater out of here. Yeah. And the U.S. said... Oh no, you can't do that. They've got contracts; they stay. <laughs> How's that for freedom and democracy? Yeah. Well, that's a lie too.
2: Well, it's, so it has to do with corporate interests, no doubt. Uh, corporatism. Exactly. Again, we get back to that uh, corporatist notion and these large corporate interests that are getting rich uh, by by uh, waging war. We uh, there's so much to talk about uh, in the Fourth Reich, and I'm told here by my engineers that we only have about five or six minutes. Left uh, in Chapter One, um, you noted the desperate conditions in Germany that led to to Hitler's um, you know to his ascension to power. But he right. was really aided and abetted by a lot of different people. You you name some of those people.
3: Right. Um, a, 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 the Bank here. of
2: England, I understand, was also uh, involved. Were it. they
3: not? Yes, and that's why Hitler, all the way to, at least through the beginning of the war, uh, kept looking uh, to Britain as an ally. Mm-hmm. they thought that he would come in and help them stave off godless communism,
4: mm-hmm. all right?
3: And he didn't realize that, as I the quote I gave you from Winston Churchill, that they had already decided he had to go. They had to break the economic strength of Germany because they did not, those those people in uh, city of London and on Wall Street, they did not want Germany leading the world economic order. Mm-hmm. So they had already turned against Hitler. But that's why Hitler, when he got to Dunkirk, he could have obliterated... The British Expeditionary Force instead he stopped all his forces and allowed them to escape back to England mm-hmm. because he fully expected them to come in and be his allies, as he had written about in his book mein Kampf.
2: so uh, so where do we go from here uh, jim we have uh, you know we have this um the fourth uh, the fourth Reich uh, as you well, as you well, suggest. The united
3: I don't think anybody would argue with me that the United States today is an empire
2: yeah
3: right we're an empire and we're and we just keep trying to expand it it seems like even though we cannot keep up the infrastructure of our own country but we're spending billions going around trying to police the world when people over here we got hungry children we got people without jobs we got lots of problems in this country and instead of trying to uh, buckle down and solve them we 're going around trying to police the world and take care of everybody else 's problems. This just needs to stop
2: well, we and are that's certainly not a, spending that's
3: not an isolationist idea mm-hmm. we should be and in the words of the founding fathers, we should be friends to everybody and make alliances with nobody
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you uh, seem to imply a tie in with the bilderberg organization we 've got only about three minutes here yet, but yeah. um
3: the uh, is there a connection with the right. Bilderbergs? Yeah, right. The Bilderbergs, and we ain't got time to explain who those no. are. Hopefully, your listeners will either read my books or go find out. But the Bilderbergs are just filled with European royalty, and many of whom were ex Nazis or Nazi sympathizers, as well as corporate America, which are also uh... socialist, national socialist sympathizers. And so, uh, it is, uh, in fact, it was founded by Prince barnhard of the Netherlands, who had been a former Nazi SS officer, so you can see that this this National Socialism, this this Nazi mentality, uh, stretches all the way from Europe through the United States, and particularly among the ruling elite.
2: Yeah, uh, it, there's so much more to talk about um, here. I, I think that you talked about the treasure trove uh, in Chapter Four. Uh you talked about the writing on the wall on chapter five.
3: Uh... let me quickly mention the treasure trove. What you mentioned there is there seems to be good evidence and that this is mentioned briefly in the rise of the fourth Reich, that the Nazis got hold of the greatest treasure in the history of the world, which was Solomon's treasure, which mm. had been buried in the Languedoc region of southern France in the foothill of the Pyrenees. And apparently they got hold of this, which, along with the loot of Europe, gave them the ability to create corporations all around the world. And that's since World War II. They have been slowly taking control over the Western world through corporate buyouts, leverage buyouts, and and, uh, corporate takeovers. Uh, If you want to read a somewhat fictionalized version of what happened there, I have a book I call Faction, Fact-Based Fiction, uh-huh. called all the sisterhood of the rose, which goes into good detail about how the Nazis uh, got Solomon's treasure.
2: Interesting. Now, it really, really interesting. Jim, how can people follow your work? I mean, you're publishing all the time. We're going to have you back on, I hope, very soon, to talk about uh, the trillion-dollar conspiracy. But mm-hmm. how can people follow your work on an ongoing uh, basis? Well,
3: I have a website. Strangely enough, it's jimmars.com. And uh, I would encourage people to kind of... Go there and look now, but then go back in a month or so because I'm in the process of building an entirely new website, and I think they're going to like the looks of it, and I think it's going to be easier to move around in. I think it's going to be a a real pleasurable experience. So then go to my website. You can get my books at any bookstore, obviously on Amazon and uh, on like that. So main thing is just check with my website, and uh, I'll try to keep everybody up to date on everything that's going on. Well, thank you, Jim. You know, folks, uh, get
2: a hold of the Rise of the Fourth Reich and study this book. It is thoroughly documented. Jim's not is not flying, uh, you know, is, is not flying blind here. He's he's done a tremendous amount of research, and so what he's telling you, everything is footnoted. Everything is there. Um, you know, is it a conspiracy? Well, conspiracies happen. I mean, conspiracies. We have this notion that it's some mystical thing with a couple of people that that sort of control the world behind closed doors. I think people really act in their own best interest as they see it. A lot of times, their own selfish interest uh, and they try to get government to pass laws that give them some advantage over others. This is the opposite of free market capitalism. What we have, it is statism. Right. It is fascism. And so, Jim, I thank you very much. Uh, we're gonna have to have you back. There's so much more to talk to you about. We barely scratched the surface on the rise of the Fourth Reich. You have many other things we want to talk to you about. I want to thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge with our listeners, and uh we're gonna have you back soon. Folks, don't go away. I'm gonna be back with Jeff Dice, he's Ron Paul's chief of staff, and Jeff will have some things to say, no doubt about our military industrial complex. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
5: Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining.
0: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by.
5: Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital combined with advanced technology will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP
6: on the CN. SX Exchange. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www sandgold.ca
5: Voice America Business
6: Network The Bottom
5: Line in Business
0: Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I just realized I failed to mention the sponsors that make this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, the sponsors are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp., Intertopia Corporation, Go West Limited, Smash Minerals Corporation, and Trevally mining corporation. Well, I'm really pleased to have a friend, uh, Jeff Deist, with me here. Uh, Jeff is uh, Ron Paul's chief of staff. Uh, welcome, Jeff.
7: Thanks, Jay. i, I got to tell you, I caught just the very end, tail end of your last guest. Okay. And whatever he was talking about sounds like it's much, much more interesting than uh, me calling you up about some bill in Congress.
2: Well, <laughs> you know, you're probably right about that <laughs> in a way, only because it seems to me, as a person who's not as close to Congress and what goes on in Washington as you are, that it doesn't make any difference what bills are passed down there.
7: Well, it, we've almost re- reached the point where it scarcely does because yeah. we've got a, a Federal Reserve that is, in effect, a, 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 a funding source of its own. And we have an administrative agency, bureaucratic agencies under the president that are, in, in effect unaccountable to Congress. So, right. so it's, I hate to say it, but more and more it's, it, it's, it matters less and less who, who you vote into Congress. That's it true.
2: almost seems that uh, that they're totally unresponsive to people. I can remember a time when I would write to my congressman and I would get an answer, at least from the office. I don't anymore. I right. can write to uh, a year. I can remember when Henry Gonzalez, a uh, congressman from Texas, wrote me back when I was living in New York. Uh, but these days, it seems as though the congressmen are almost totally uh, non-responsive to. I don't know. I'm not. I'm sure that's not true of Ron Paul, but uh, it just seems as though you know the common person doesn't matter very much anymore.
7: Well, I, I can tell you this: we certainly answer letters, but uh, you, you know, one one reality is that members of Congress have uh, roughly 700,000 constituents today, yeah. which I think is 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 wildly in excess of what the founders probably had in mind.
2: Sure. Yeah, and so the job, the work, the workload is just incredible. I suppose.
7: Sure, the the connection to their to their districts, um, mm-hmm. you know, is attenuated by the by the size of their districts and also by the 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 environment up here. I mean, you know, I mean, if you think about it, Jay, we've got three uh, hundred odd million people in this country, and yet we don't have anyone outside of two parties in the entire U.S. Congress. Yeah. Now that tells you that the two parties have locked things up precinct by precinct, street by street, zip code by zip code. Um, you know that's absurd for a country of this size.
2: It's a monopoly.
7: Yeah, there's no question about it. And and you know I'll I'll just briefly bring up the debt ceiling vote. Yes, uh, please. Which is which is scheduled to come up next week in the House. And here's something where you know the common man, the average voter, the average constituent, is it, almost across the board in this country is is deeply suspicious or against. This debt ceiling increase, to the extent they have thought about it or care to have an opinion on it, yeah, uh, this will pass easily. Uh, both parties will talk about how necessary it is. This is a situation where you know your voice or, or the average person's voice will not be heard at all, and and it's 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 all complete nonsense, Jay. I mean, if we look at what the federal government takes in every month in revenue, okay, um, it varies wildly, but let's say it's going to average roughly. $180 billion a month mm-hmm. for fiscal 2011. So mm-hmm. that would give us annual uh, tax revenues of between 2 and $2.5 and trillion. Dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, our debt service varies again by month, but it averages, divided by 12 months, about $40 billion a month. Mm-hmm. So we clearly have enough income every month to service the debt easily and have plenty left over. And I mean mm-hmm. plenty. For all the, the constitutional functions of government, and you know, Jay, if we just go back a little bit in time, let's say 1990, the entire federal budget was roughly a trillion dollars.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, now,
7: even adjusted for inflation, let's call it two trillion today. Mm-hmm. We could have all the government, and we had plenty of it that we had just just 30 years ago, 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, 20 years ago. 20 years uh, ago. So, so we've cut roughly quadrupled federal spending in 20 years, and what have we really gotten? The reason we've quadrupled it, Jay. Is, is is entitlements, especially the disastrous Republican George Bush Medicare Part D prescription drug benefit. Yeah. Which has absolutely thrown Medicare into an actuarial nightmare. It was a terrible, terrible mistake. And then B, uh, idiotically trying to remake entire civilizations in our image, mm-hmm. uh, i e Iraq and Afghanistan, at the cost of about a trillion dollars a year. Yeah. Um so, you know, you uh Believe you me, all this talk about the debt ceiling is, is nonsense. The U.S. government could do just fine on $2 trillion a year, uh, $2.5 trillion a year, somewhere in there, even servicing its debt.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, what did you say there, the, uh, the average, or what is the, the vote against raising the, the debt ceiling? It's, you, you threw a number out. I didn't catch it.
7: Well, I think that most people are against it, if you talk yeah. to them. I think if you mm-hmm. talk to most people, they'd say, well, you know, the F- U.S. government has too much debt, and it should stop digging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should stop borrowing, and it should find a way to have a balanced budget. If, mm-hmm. you, if you poll people on the streets, do you support a balanced budget amendment that would require Congress to not spend more than it brings in, in, in tax revenues in, in any given year?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: they'd overwhelmingly say yes. Mm-hmm. I think that that would poll very high in any, in any part of the country. Mm-hmm. Okay? But if then if you also followed up and said, would you support a balanced budget amendment if it meant, you know, a 30% cut to Social Security and Medicare,
4: mm-hmm.
7: uh, then your answer would change <laughs> among the voters pretty quickly. Yeah, you, you know, Jeff, we had, uh,
2: I had Chen Lin, who's a partner of mine, was on the first segment of today's show, and I was asking him about some of his favorite investments, and there was a... Uh, Nigerian oil an oil company that has to have that happens to have some projects in Nigeria that are throwing off beautiful cash flows I think the stock is companies selling at something like one times cash flow and ten figures are going to have another well in production pretty soon that will that will make it sell even you know that that would justify much higher prices uh, and some multiple of that and I said well but it 's a Nigeria Chen. and he said yes but I think that you know the, the West is not going to allow that to to go down uh, that is the the United States military and so forth. So Chen is making a, a, a decision. I mean, it's not that he thinks that we should be over there necessarily, but that we are there and there's this, ne- this sense of that the empire is going to protect itself, protect, protect its own interests. But I thought it was sort of interesting, uh, you know, whereas that certainly wasn't what was meant to be initially, and it really maybe allows very alert people like Chen Lin, who's, who's bright enough to be able to figure out what's going on and, uh, in the world and who, uh, who plans his affairs accordingly. But the average working person who's out there trying to put food on his table and he's working extremely hard to keep his family together and so forth isn't able to make those kind of decisions. Uh, and he's getting hosed with higher, higher inflation rates, higher taxes, and he can't make ends meet. And so we're seeing as um, we had Howard Davidowitz, a retail analyst on this show, a very well-known personality in New York on television frequently, and he's talking about uh, 80% of the American people are having a more difficult time of it, and 20% are doing okay or better, probably mostly Wall Street people and people that are connected to the financial markets. But do you see this as as a repercussion of this easy monetary system, this, this nonsensical sort of, uh, fiat money system, where the people that control the system are reallocating wealth to themselves and away from the people that actually create the wealth. Is this something that you see happening? And then those that are able to to play the game, uh, to game the system, can come out ahead. Is well, certainly no
7: question. And unlike the in- investor class, the average folks are stuck with their dollars. Yeah, you know, they they can't convert. Uh, the, you know, they don't have an investment. Gr- to, to convert into something else or into to another currency or or whatever it might be, but yeah, there's no question about it. The people who profit who get those new dollars on the front end i e those who visit the Fed discount window and then turn around and lend that money mm-hmm. um, uh, you know are are the beneficiaries of a policy mm-hmm. and and you know I, I hate to say it because it's it's been such leftist tripe over the years, which mm-hmm. is the rich get richer and the poor getting poorer. But the problem is that that's actually true of late, of, of the last 20 years, and it's true because of of the Fed's relentless monetary expansion. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is, it lends itself to to the wrong answers in the minds of people who believe in government, people on the left. Mm-hmm. In other words, they've identified something that is true and that is mm-hmm. a problem, which is government policies and Fed policies are enriching a small group of people at the expense of everyone else in America. But they're 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 uh, you know how they would fix that is, of course, all wrong. Which is right. more statism, more regulation, etc.
2: Right. Well, they they would equate what we have now to free market capitalism. Sure. And Mars sure. pointed out uh, sure. so eloquently, we have anything but free market capitalism. We have fascism. We have statism. we have corporatism, whatever you want to call it. It's it's the antithesis the antithesis of free market capitalism. And so people think that's what we have, and they want more more control, which ends up uh, causing even more distortions in the economy. Where are we, um, uh, your boss has uh, decided to, uh, to become a candidate for the presidency again. Um, that must, must make things pretty exciting in your office these days.
7: Yeah, uh, you know, we certainly hope he gets some traction. And, uh, you know, the one place where he can really distinguish himself uh, amongst the other Republicans is, is uh, you know, a repudiation of, of the, uh, the Bush years. Mm -hmm. Um, Congressman Paul voted against the Medicare Part D plan He voted against all the spending bills He voted against all the war spending He voted Mm -hmm. against the Patriot Act Mm -hmm. And these things are all abject failures Mm -hmm. um, Which are now coming home to roost And and really if the Republican Party wants to regain any credibility As the party of limited government and and fiscal restraint It's got a long way to go And and, uh, certainly Ron would be the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the person with the most credibility on that end
2: well, there's no doubt about that, but do you think the Republican Party wants to? I don't see any desire on the part of most Republicans. I mean, it seems to me that uh, the common folks, the people in the country, are clamoring, and I think that's why Ron is so popular, although his popularity isn't allowed to be known. It's not, it's not advertised at all on the mainstream media. But uh, I, I, I have a hard time believing that the Republican Party as it exists as a whole has any desire whatsoever to return to limited government. Would you agree with that?
7: Well, there's a lot, certainly a lot of short-term thinking, which says, you know, gee whiz, if we if we give any serious talk to to real entitlement reform, we'll we'll lose, mm-hmm. we'll be bounced out of office. And, yeah, and uh, I, you know, I'm not sure that that's true in the long term. But at some point, you know, somebody's going to have to start talking seriously about. Uh, about cutting off the war spending and about cutting off the entitlement spending, or else our creditors will cut it off for us.
2: Well, that's exactly right. It, uh, and I, I think that that time may not be that far into the future based on what I'm seeing in the in the markets, Jeff. I don't know what you would think about that, but we we are out of time. Unfortunately, we're going to have to have you back on a regular basis to, sure. to keep us up to date on what's going on up on Capitol Hill. It may be somewhat more boring, but it is not inconsequential because, you guys up there, the, your colleagues up there that are passing laws are trying to take more and more exact, a larger pound of flesh, it seems, with almost every bill that is exact, it is passed into the law. So it's not, it's not unimportant, but sometimes it is a bit boring. Anyway, thank you, Jeff, for being with us. And folks, don't go away. I'm going to be back with my partner, Roger Wiegand, for a wrap-up on today's show and on the markets today. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
5: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by.
5: Auriga Gold is a Canadian mine development
0: and exploration
5: company working in Manitoba's prolific flin-flon greenstone belt. Auriga's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Auriga plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Auriga Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol
6: AIA. Travali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada, is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Travali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV.
5: Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets intellectual capital combined with advanced technology will enable smash to be quick to drilling in august 2011 you can discover smash minerals on the tsx venture under the symbol ssh voice america business network the bottom line in business
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Roger Wiegand, my partner, and uh, he writes the newsletter called Trader Tracks. Welcome, Roger. Thank you. So, Roger, uh, we were talking here at the break a little bit about this long-term trend. Uh, this is a chart taken from Rob, uh, Mr. Prechter's newsletter. shows going all the way back to the 1930s, and we've had this uh, channel trend. Uh, he shows how, you know, we, we bounced up against th- this trend and then bounced back in the 30s and is suggesting that we're seeing a similar pattern now. We broke through this trend, uh, you know, when the Dow got up to 14,000 or something like that uh, <clears throat> back in, uh, 19, in uh, I guess it was in 2007. Uh, where, where do you see things going now? I mean, as this, uh, as so far we're seeing this trend. Uh, we're, we're seeing the, the Dow unable to get above what used to be a support line. It now uh, seems to be a resistance line. But what, what is your take on the on the Dow over the near term, short term, medium term, long term?
8: Well, you've got the uh, short term. We we think that there, there's more room to, to rise, mm-hmm. but it has obviously been peaking. There's a bugle pattern on there now, a megaphone pattern, and you can see the same pattern on this chart between uh, 1960s and 1970s. And of course, what happened at the end of that bugle is the price fell down
4: mm-hmm.
8: in in the, in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. The same pattern is appearing again, but the the question is when and how long. And we think that we're probably on the upside at least until the middle of June, maybe the end of June. Mm-hmm. and then after that we will sink a little bit in a mild correction and then go sideways for the summer and then our big question then is with this megaphone pattern we're seeing on this chart that's a signal that it's topping and it's probably going to sell and if in fact it does that in the last quarter of this year which i'm expecting i think the dow could go back to 9750
2: well wow. 9750 huh that would be a that would be pretty tough to take. Uh, I mean, I'm looking. As you If I look at this chart, do you see? I'm wondering if you see what I see. And you're a technician, I'm not, so I, I, I may be putting my foot in my mouth here. But it looks to me like we're looking at a long term head and shoulders formation on the Dow.
8: Um,
2: if you look at uh, the high, you know, you that's went up pretty to. Close.
8: It's kind of a sloppy head and shoulders, but I can see it. You're correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is true. The, the real signal on this thing that th- things are getting weak is that um, the lower the, the lower lows uh, from back in the back in the year well just just before 2000 looks like about 96 uh, up to the, the most recent one which was pretty close to where we are now uh, those things are dropping
4: mm-hmm. and
8: when you get that kind of a pattern like you did back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you're going to get a big haircut. Yeah. This well, is a chart, Jay. So, you know, the longer the chart that gets this kind of a picture on it, that means the more severe the event will be when you get to the cell. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, exactly right. And I know that looking at, I know that you follow the work of uh, Robert McHugh, and he's looking at on the downside. He He's agreeing with you that we're going to see. Uh, more on the upside, most likely, but he's suggesting if we go below, I think it's 12,093 on the Dow, and 1294 on the S&P 500, that it's all over, and basically we're heading uh, heading south very, very rapidly in a very severe decline. Would you see something like that happening?
8: Yep, I agree with that. Uh, Bob, uh, Bob and I pretty much follow the same track. He's looking for a Dow top at about 13,250. And we're looking at right now. Let me see here. We've got a top to, or price today of 12369 369. So you've got um, you know you got a few hundred points you could go up yet. Also, the S and P's. He's looking at a high of around 1410. I'm looking at around 1400. So we're pretty close.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: We're pretty we're close. But I, you, keep in mind, Jay, that the uh, New York is trying to get rid of this a lot of this IPO stock. We've been writing about that. Often and on recently, they've got a lot of stock they want to get sold and get it out, and I think that's going to hold the market up. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the trail, then, of course, if they're going to make money, they have to exit the position, and they'll have to do that, I think, in the fourth quarter of this year. That's why I'm expecting some selling at that time.
2: Right. Well, it's interesting. And gold, what are you looking at at gold right now?
8: Well, gold we got uh, today, we hit a high of 1526. Today was an up day. Uh, it's a wave three that could continue. That's the big wave. After hours, uh, it's up $10.80 on June futures. It did hit a high of 15 mm-hmm. We're looking for a short-term forecast. I'm, I'm saying two to three weeks, probably more like two weeks, $15.48.5. Uh, our, our previous high, the highest high recently, was 15.85 there is a chance we could go there make a double top and then sell on a correction
4: mm-hmm. but
8: as a minimum i'm looking at fifteen forty
4: eight
2: well thank you roger unfortunately we are just just about out of time we got to wrap it up here now people can uh, should really take advantage of, of uh, your newsletter trader tracks and we do have a one month uh, one-time only trial subscription for forty nine dollars roger provides some great trading opportunities some ideas uh, that you can make money on. So thank you, Roger, for being with us. We'll look to have you back again next week, if possible. Uh, folks, I want to thank you again for listening. I uh, want to mention that next week our special guest is going to be Vincent Bugolosi. He's best known for uh, his trial of Charles Manson, and we will also be talking uh, to Arch Crawford. Uh, to get Arch's take on where he thinks the markets are going from his technical uh, perspective as well. In closing, I want to thank uh, the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Cologne, uh Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. And again, thanks to each of you for listening. That's all for now. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to
3: you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing
0: about time is the time isn't really real. If you're one of the lucky
6: few that never have to worry about your